Hola, my good name is Anema Christopher Chami, your host of the Rich Auntie Chats podcast. I welcome you to dive with us into topics on personal finance and intentional living. Today is a new day. We have a new episode. So hop in and let's learn together. But do not forget to subscribe and leave a review from wherever platform you're listening us to. Thank you, Nakaribu Sana. Again, welcome everyone. Uh, we have another session today. Today we'll be with Janet Joseph, who will walk us through what it takes to be a board member. Um, Janet was introduced to me by Upendo, so she will tell us more about herself. And also today, the mode that we're using is that uh, Janet has prepared like a short presentation for us. So she'll go through that. Um, I believe she used our questions as a guideline uh, so that she could make sure that she uh, answers everything that we asked through. So without wasting any time, I would like to welcome Janet uh, to take over. Um, she will introduce herself and then get into the presentation. And once she's done, she will have a short Q&A and then we'll call it a day. Karibu sana, Janet. Asante, Naema. Um, hi, everyone. As Naema introduced me, my name is Janet Joseph Edson. I am a lawyer uh, majoring in corporate governance. I have over nine years of experience. I have worked with um, law firms, I've worked with international NGOs, and I'm currently working with um, a commercial company. But I also, I've built my experience over the years on, on exceptionally on uh, corporate governance. I also run a law firm um, called Spring Attorneys though I'm still only practicing in my area of corporate governance. So I have other colleagues that are doing the other bits of it. And I only come in when we have corporate governance issues because I, as I said, I am still um, also in the corporate side employed. And as you all know, women is uh, all about juggling all hearts sometimes. <laughs> I am excited to be with you today to take you through this session. And as Nema highlighted, uh, I am going to be focusing more or less on the questions that you shared prior. So um, if I miss anything uh, at the end of the session, please uh, do let me know and I'll be more than happy to um, take you through. So like I said, my major is in corporate governance. That means I work very closely with boards. And um, in the corporate governance side, especially for example, in the in the law firm, like uh, like I said, I am involved from the, um, the recruitment of board members, mentorship of board members, um, performance evaluation of board members, and all nitty gritty about them. I have few clients that I normally work with, so I recruit board members for them, and uh, I on board. And, the others, and then I also do a lot of um, development sessions, maybe on board retreats and other stuff where uh, they feel like their board members need to be developed in a certain area. Um, <clears throat> so 
I divided my session in three parts uh, when I looked at your questions. And I think uh, by the end of it, I'll, I, I would be able, I will be able to cover almost every area. Unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of time to make uh, my presentation more user-friendly, but I'll still be speaking through it. And uh, I hope I'll convey the same message that you expected from me. So uh, before we start, talking about how to become a board member, because that's an area of interest. I wanted us to a little bit touch about what, what are boards? Because this is a terminology that we keep hearing every now and then. And I think as we advance in our careers, you start hearing it more often. Uh, generally, in a very simple term, a board is a governing body of a company or an entity or an organization. So it's just that group of people that is governing the board that differentiates it or a, a group of people that is governing a company or an organization that is called a board. Now, uh, for us to be able to understand well what boards are and how different are they, we need also to get to understand the types of the boards that are there. Now, different texts, different practices will define boards in different ways. However, the main acceptable standards, uh, corporate governance acceptable standards on how boards are categorized are in three. So you either have governing boards or executive boards or advisory boards. And before I at least uh, try to um, take you through very briefly on what is the difference between the three, we also need to understand, for those of you who have probably never heard about boards, or maybe you're wondering if they are governing the, the organization, then what do management do? The main difference between the board is that the board, the, the management team, that is maybe the CEO, the directors or head of heads of departments who are governing a certain institutions, are actually doing the day-to-day -day works day-to-day -day activities of the organization. So whether you're a finance person, then it means you're involved in the day-to-day -day activities of ensuring that the organization is liquid or things are paid, you know, the, the normal running of the organization. If you are a lawyer, then you're doing the same. If you're um, a marketing person, you're doing the same and whatnot. But the difference here comes that the board, on the other hand, does not do the day-to-day -day management of the company generally. What the board does is providing a general oversight over that entity to ensure that the people that are doing the day-to-day -day activities are actually doing what they're supposed to be done. So ideally, the board does not do the day-to-day -day activities. They provide a general oversight of which for them, their main tool is trying to see if the organization is actually realizing the strategy that is there. So for any organization, it must have a strategy that is governing it. Now, the board's work is to ensure that a strategy is being realized, that the, 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 the management team is actually doing uh, what is, is, is necessary to ensure if it is a business, then a business is thriving, but while following the strategy that is put in place. So if you happen to go through any uh, corporate governance issues, you will 
here the most uh, famous phrase that we like to use, we say, it's like, we call it a NIFO effect, the nose in, fingers out. So for a board, what they do is their nose is in, smelling, their nose and eyes are in, smelling what is happening in the organization, looking at how everything is done, but their fingers are out because they must refrain from actually doing the day-to-day -day activities. And the other simplest analogy of board and management and how, what does the board do and how management does. If you follow, uh, if you are a football or, or maybe a sports fan, but I would like to use football because I don't know the rules of other, of other games. Um, a typical board uh, management relationship is like that relationship of a coach and a player. However good the coach is, if the coach was a renowned player in many years, the moment he becomes a coach, he ceases from playing. And when the match is being played there, however good the coach is, the coach will never enter into the field and start kicking the ball. So that's typically how the relationship between management and board, if you forget everything, just remember that analogy, that the management now, the CEO and his team, are the players, the team players that are actually playing in the field. While the board is like the coach that is only seated at the bench, trying to see how everything is done. He, it, he will direct, but he will not do. And when the, maybe you, they've played and it's half time, they will talk about what they did well, what they didn't do well, what strategy can they employ when they go back to finish maybe the, the, the other half. But however bad the team is playing, the board will not actually go in the ground. I mean, the, the coach will never go in the field and start playing. I just wanted to lay that picture in our heads uh, clearly so that when we move, we, we're, we're moving together. Now, there are different types of boards like I highlighted. There are boards that are only uh, governing the entities, there are boards that are executive boards and there are boards that are advisory. Now, I will start with executive boards. Executive boards, these are boards that are uh, somehow defiling the normal norm of how board are supposed to be. Where This is where you find the CEO is at the same time doing day-to-day -day activities, but also being uh, um, acting as a board member. And these types of boards, you, you will find them, for example, in family-owned businesses, you know, where the, maybe the founder is the father and his sons are running the company. So at the same time, they turn themselves into becoming the board and then they also turn themselves into become the, becoming the management team. And it's typically accepted because of the kind of the setting that they're, they're built under. So the likes of maybe Muhammad Enterprises and many other family-owned companies. But on, for governing boards, these are boards that are typically there to do the actual work of governing the organizations. Now, these are boards where the chair of the board and all other members are actually not part of the management team. However, it could be maybe a board of, uh, it could be uh, different situations where, uh, for example, a board member is, is also a shareholder. You still become a board member, but you're only doing the governing part. Like the, the analogy that I was giving you the, about the football um, coach and the players. 
advisory boards, on the other hand, like their name suggests, they are purely built for purposes of advising. So they may not be the owners of the business. For example, they may not be the directors or the shareholders of the business. They may not be the actual people that probably have put in the money for that business to succeed. But these are people that have been given mandate to govern uh, that entity. So they will follow the same principle of nose in, fingers out, not doing the actual work, but ensuring that um, that entity is being run for, what, for the purpose that it was created for. And as their role suggests, they normally, their role, biggest role is advising and not actually uh, executing the work that they're supposed to be doing. And you'll find these kinds of boards for those people that are renowned entrepreneurs. Um, like, for example, you have opened your own business, maybe you're a sole proprietor, you have opened your own business and you're running it. The best way is for, if you want to see that business thrive, the best way advice is always to form an advisory board. Why do we say this? If you're the owner of the business, you're likely to be short-sighted or you can be foreseeing for things, but then you lack the actual um, methods of running the, the company, or maybe you, you lack the, the time to where you can do a self-reflection and criticize yourself. But when you have an independent body whose work is to ensure that they evaluate, for example, your plans vis-a-vis -vis your actual achievement, the challenges that you're presenting that maybe made you not to achieve a certain thing, then it is easier for you to focus on doing the, uh, the actual things that you're supposed to be doing while others are helping you to only oversee it from an arm's length and see how well functioning is that entity going. And these types of boards also you will find uh, most of them in how NGOs are being run. And I'll talk about that when I'm responding to your questions. So for example, most of the boards in NGOs are purely advisory because the money is being given by someone else who is a donor in this case, but the donor is not necessarily um, doing, uh, coming to see what is being done at the ground, you know, at the field or whatever uh, the NGO is performing. So you, you see they, they appoint uh, a certain set of people to sit in a board as advisory board to ensure that they are holding management accountable of the things that they're supposed to be doing. And that's how normally um, it is done. Um, I think we'll put things into perspective more uh, when I, 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 as I go along and uh, as I will be responding to your questions. Um, so typically the, the, the third part was how now, what do they do? Or what qualifications do they hold, these board members that we are talking about? First of all, we need to understand that a board member is any person just like me and you, but the only difference or maybe um, very peculiar um, features that are put onto them is because these are people that are expected to demonstrate significant achievements in the business. So ideally, any expert in a certain field can become a board member. If you're good in accounting and you have demonstrated experience in that area of your, of your practice, 
then you make a good board member. I know I'll get to a question where someone asked, why is this like something that uh, is choosing maybe certain profession, professions only? It's because these are just the, the opportunities that we're seeing that are being advertised. But you'll be surprised, every person has a potential of actually becoming a board member, as long as they're an, an expert in a certain thing. So you can become a board member in any organization that is actually doing something that is likely to be uh, something that you're qualified for. Because ideally, like we said, um, you are not being called to do the job. Board membership is not like employment. So nobody, ex the expectation is if you're a board member, it means you're skilled more than the actual people that are doing the work. That is the underlying assumption. However, it may not be necessarily true. So how do we measure that you are skilled more than the people that are running the organization? It could be by way of exposure. It could be by way of significant achievements that you've achieved in the course of time. It could be by your level of education. It could be by the experience that you have in that area of practice. So all these play a big role in how one is Place, best placed to become a board member. And a board membership role can be categorized into, it can be paid, this, someone asked, do you get paid to be one? It's yes and no. But I want to talk about the benefits of being a board member before I get to the, to, I leave the financial part and I'll talk about it um, later on. So for young people, the, the, the ones that are maybe in the mid, middle of their career and uh, whatnot, it is very important. If you get a, a, an opportunity to be a board member, grab it and run with it. Because apart from the financial benefits that is attached to it, it gives you a lot of exposure. For me, I, I, I always challenge that I, I do a lot of board mentorship for people that are aspiring to become board members. And I always challenge them that when you see that you are finally able to sit in a board as a board member, it means you are a CEO material. So you need to start thinking in that light because ideally a board member, one of the biggest role of the boards is to hire and fire a CEO among others. Now, if your job is to hire and fire a CEO and you are less qualified than that CEO, how are you going to be placed well to be able to do that? It means when you see a CEO in front of you, you're going to be intimidated. You won't actually be able to do what you're supposed to be doing because typically um, the board's role is actually to ask questions to ask questions where they feel like things are not working well, they ask until they get answers. But it is to hold, also hold management accountable. Holding accountable, it means they can fire management. Now, how will you be able to know that this management is lying to us? This management is not doing what they're supposed to be doing if you have no experience in that particular field. And that is why the level of standard that the board is being held 
against is very high than the actual doers of the business who are actually doing the day-to-day -day activities of the business. Now, back to the benefits. So because of that underlying assumption of the kind of knowledge and experience that you need to have, the fact that you're a board member anywhere, regardless of the volume of work, regardless of the worth of the business, it means you are a CEO material and you are capable of being a CEO because that's why you are there at the upper hand. You're able to monitor and see how this organization is being governed. So the, the first experience, the first benefit I would say is it distinguishes you among many because colleagues, if we, if it, we talk about, for example, educational qualifications, all of us are qualified. Everybody is somewhat qualified in their area of practice. If I am a lawyer, I'll meet any other lawyer who is an advocate, who has a master's in this and that, who has this and that, but what other value am I adding to myself, to my collection that is distinguishing me in the market than others? So it adds, it adds value. Anybody that reads your CV, for example, if you're still in the employment world, anybody that reads your CV and they say that you're sitting as a board member somewhere, they take you seriously because then they know your level of experience, your level of understanding, your level of articulating things is quite different. It's quite high because you are seated at an area where you are literally able to even hold CEOs and other C-suite people uh, accountable. Number two, it apart from it being um, something that gives you uh, value to your CV, which means it is placing you best also to apply for similar roles or maybe even CEO roles, it still gives you a lot of exposure. Why? Because you're going to be sitting in boards where Sometimes different things are being discussed. Even if you're working in the same sector, the fact that you're no longer in your workspace, you're in, in, in another workspace where you're seeing things with a different eye, you're seeing how they're presenting their issues, it will trigger you to start thinking differently. You expand your knowledge. If you're inquisitive, then you even want to inquire more about how these things are done in this area of practice. And for example, if there are lawyers, I, I forgot to ask them if there are lawyers in this group. I always challenge uh, my fellow lawyers that if you're a company secretary in any organization, if you want to thrive in that role, ensure that you are a board member somewhere else. Because as a company secretary, among others, your role is to ensure that you're servicing board members, you're ensuring that there's a balance of shareholders' rights, Management is doing what they're supposed to be doing. The board gets the, the end of the game. They, they, they get um, value for money with the money that they have placed. But so and every time you're doing it, but from a management eye. When you sit in another board as a, as a board member, not as a company secretary, you're also able to see, for example, fellow, fellow company secretaries, what are they doing? How, how are they doing their things differently? There are things that you learn that are not taught in school, that are not taught in any, any course, but you learn them through experience. And these are things that are going to be added unto you when you're sitting in uh, different boards. But also 
apart from that, it, it opens up your mind to start thinking differently. Uh, as I, I gave an example of myself when I was introducing myself. I have worked in, the, in law firms before. I've worked with an international NGO. And I've, I am sitting as a board member in three board, in three different organizations. One of them was, uh, two of them were com uh, commercial entities. And sitting in an international NGO, it was fun. There was a lot of learning that I was getting. But when I, I was attending meetings in these other boards that I was sitting, commercial companies, I, I started wondering what could it be if I was working in a commercial sector. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to do more than what I was actually doing. And it's not, I, I wouldn't really say more, but different. And so it was fun in games when you're, you're sitting at the other side, you're seeing how things are done. Uh, you know, just like the example I gave, whenever players are playing in the field, for those of you who follow football, you would see sometimes the coach would even want to kick a ball while he's actually not kicking any ball, so he's kicking the air. Why? Because it's very easy to see their mistakes when you're seated at the bench. But when you're the one playing, you don't see those mistakes. So that's why I say when you serve as a board member, you're able to see the mistakes that other people are making other corporate um, ex uh, executives are making. And then obviously you're, you are going to be able to devise your own strategy in ensuring that if you're making the same mistakes as them, you change. If you're not making, then you start doing something differently to ensure that you don't follow, follow the same path. Um, there was a question about, do you get paid to be one? I said it's a yes and no. So there are, Ideally, a board membership role is not like an employment. So we, we don't really call it a salary, but rather a stipend that a board member gets. Now, every organization has different modalities. The most common one in parastatal bodies, these are government bodies and other, uh, even other commercial companies and NGOs, is uh, giving a sitting allowance. And in Tanzania, it ranges from 300,000 to 1 million, depending on how liquid the organization is, or even more. But there are very few that are paying more than 1 million. So this is something that you get per sitting. And ideally, a board sits four times a year for main board meetings. And then they also, depending on the uh, how many committees the board has, then uh, the, the sitting is also going to be uh, increased depending on how many committees that you're going to be serving. And um, of course, the other, other, the good thing about any board, regardless of how rich or poor they are, is they don't really um, want you to incur costs. I've never, in my nine years of practice, I've never met any board that unless it's uh, maybe you're donating or volunteering to a friend's uh, entity or something like that. But, but most boards uh, don't really want you to incur your own costs when you are running, uh, when you're doing things for them. So you would find other benefits like maybe if you travel, then your travel is going to be um, covered by them. If it's air travel, they will cover it and others. 
for example, where I'm currently working, board members, they don't really even travel economy. You have to ensure that they travel business class. If the plane is full, look for another plane. They must travel in business class. They get booked to different hotels, good ones. So ideally, you don't really spend any money being a board member. The only thing that is required is your skills, your brain. That's all. Um, I, I hope I've, I've answered the question of what were are the non-financial and financial benefits of being a board member. If I've missed any other thing, you can drop your questions in the chat or when we open the question and answer session, you can still ask it out loud. Um, why do they want experience? I, I wrote as, as, as it was, why do they want experience Yamiya Kamingi? Uh, I think in my explanations when I was taking you guys through, I, ex uh, I, I probably answered this question. The main reason is you're, the, the kind of people that you're going to be, to be supervising, because technically if you're a board member, you're a supervisor. First and foremost, you're supervising the CEO. So ideally today, if we do a rough evaluation, what is the qualification of CEOs? Then you see that it takes many years or many experiences for someone to actually sit as a CEO. And the explanation is, that is why they need you to be there. However, there's always an exception in this world. Your experience and your level of exposure can beat the, these high and mighty um, qualifications that are always uh, placed there. Like I, I gave you an example of myself. I only have nine years of experience. Yes, uh, maybe I've been carried by the fact that I've practiced corporate governance for many years, but I've never been a CEO and yet I am sitting in three boards. So it's more or less of what are you, are you able to bring to the table? How best are you carrying yourself in this area that you actually want to serve as a board member? Because also we need to be able to, to, to narrow our expectations, like um, narrow it to in a certain direction that you want so that everything that you're doing is aligned with what you actually aspire to do. If you want to become a board member in banks, then try and see what are the qualifications of these people? What do I have? Where is the gap? What can I do? And, and stuff like that. Um, the other question uh, that was there was, what courses should a one take Kujianda uh, in such positions? Ideally, your area of practice is enough. You don't really need to take any other course. It's just you perfecting what you're currently doing. But also, I would say marketing or maybe branding it. Yes, branding is a good word. Branding it well enough so that people are able to see. I will tell you for the number of years that I worked uh, in, the, in the international NGO that I talked about, one of my biggest role as the head of uh, corporate governance was to recruit board members. And I came to realize that when I advertise, I don't really get good qualities I want. So most of the time, most of my recruitments, I, I was doing headhunting and by way of reference. And I'm saying this for all intents and purposes because all of us are young people here. Watch out how you carry yourselves, how you relate to others, what you, um, 
what reputation that you're creating in the public. Um, this transcends into small, small things like your Facebook posts or your LinkedIn posts, because mind you, like we said, the board doesn't actually do the day-to-day -day activities. However, because these are expected to be people that are held at the highest level of um, uh, excellence, then there's a certain expectation of what you're supposed to be doing. But also whatever you do, big or small, carries the brand of the organization that you're representing. So for me, for example, I worked in, in an international NGO, which is also a Christian-based NGO. Among others, among other qualifications, we also always wanted to see, is this a good standing member of the society? Because we have donors whose um, motivation to give money is how these people are carrying themselves. They don't want to be associated with anything that is ungodly for that matter, regardless of the religion. So we were very careful because you recruit someone who is not matching your mission and vision and your values, then he or she becomes a liability. And unfortunately, you'll be carrying your brand. And whoever wants to deal with that organization, they'll be saying, ah, you see, this is how they behave. This is how organization X behave. Have you seen their directors? This is how they are. So that's why I am saying we have to be intentional if we really want to serve as board members depending on the, on the field, because also maybe if you serve as a board member in a music, uh, musical company, I'm expecting that maybe the standards that are there are not going to be as very high as you, you wanting to serve maybe in CRDB or, or NMB or any other organization. Um, so ideally is the, every experience is relevant it's just that it has to be relevant to the activities of that organization. There is no any other profession that is less important than the other. You will go to um, organizations whose maybe marketing is their major activities. They will definitely want board members that have more marketing experience. So it all depends with the need of that organization and not really the importance of a certain role. It's just that some certain roles are fitting in almost every organization. And that is why maybe we're seeing that they are the most common roles that are, are requested like lawyers, accountants, and any others. Um, the other part was, Nema, you will help me at the end if I've missed any, any question. Why does, uh, <laughs> why does his position focus on uh, known skills? I think I've already responded to that. Um, skills, uh, board CV, I want to talk uh, about board CV as the last thing. Um, yeah, I think uh, also in responding to the, the latter I, I was talking about is we, we need to capitalize on your skills rather than just certificates. I will tell you because I, one of my biggest role even to date, even with my, I would say my side hustle in my law firm is recruiting board members. I have met very good CVs and I call these people for interviews. I get so disappointed. There's, there's a time even where I almost failed my client and imagine he was looking, the client was looking for a board member who is female, who is a lawyer. 
I got very good, reputable seven CVs and we sat in the interview and I didn't get any candidate. So don't be intimidated only by the skills that people possess, I mean, the, the certificates that people possess. It's the, these small, small skills that are, that are highly needed. Anybody who serves in the board, if you get a chance to talk to them, they will tell you the success or failure of the board is not only based on how much skilled they are, it's based on boardroom behaviors. Now, I told you, I do a lot of board trainings. If I was doing a board training here, I would have talked a, a lot about boardroom behavior. What really makes the board successful or less successful is how well behaved the board members are. As simple as being someone who can accommodate others when they are talking, letting others speak, doing, um, uh, you know, uh, appreciating others uh, when they comment, appreciating management when they do, because also we're say, we're talking about holding management accountable. But if it is done in a very rude manner, you're going to be scaring people who in that organization, and hence your turnover is going to be so high because people will be leaving every day. CEOs will be resigning from their jobs. So there are many other things other than certificates that can carry you through to become a board member somewhere. And this includes behavioral issues and the other skill sets that you have. For example, the session that we're having today, there are many people that would never uh, go through it. So you will find that someone is a very good doer of their job. Someone is a very good lawyer, but it can, you can, he, he can't translate into become a very good board member. Of course, you will need to read relevant books if you're interested to, to do this. I would recommend a very simple book. Um, it, it was written by Ntangeti Inshallah, is a, is a Tanzanian author. It's called no, no Vice. No Vice is like a new learner. And he has um, broken down the board membership journey in a very simple language. And it's like a, he's doing more or less of a storytelling that makes you understand. So if this is the, is, the, is the journey that you want to take, you must be willing to learn these other soft skills. I'm saying soft skills because you'll not find them taught anywhere unless you get a chance to attend different trainings. There was another question about um, IODT certificates. How relevant are they in membership uh, to boards? I would say IODT certificates are relevant public entities for a state of bodies for that matter. Like the ones where you want Mama Samia to appoint you or a minister to appoint you, then maybe they will consider IODT. But these other boards, if Dangote is today recruiting board members, he doesn't really care about IODT. You can be certified by any other, unless you want to practice as a corporate secretary. And I would also recommend many other entities that are giving those certifications. But the key one is perfecting your skills. In anything that you do, ensure you give it a hundred. If you're a lawyer, give it a hundred so that when we summon a thousand lawyers here, you're still going to be able to stand out. But if you're doing the basic that everybody is doing, then there's nothing special about you. If there's nothing special about you, it means you're replaceable. 
it means we can get any other person to do that, not necessarily. So the key is how do we stand out in the things that we do? How do we add value to our degrees, to our diplomas, to our masters, to our PhDs? We add value through other skills, not necessarily the ones that have been conferred by certificates. And um, the, the other most important thing is also to, how, who do you, do you associate yourself? Because like I said, when I was doing, now I'm in a commercial entity, I don't really do much of uh, recruiting for my current employer because typically board members are the owners of the company because they're the shareholders. But I'm still doing a lot of recruitment for NGOs. And I will tell you, if you want to start becoming a board member for the first time, NGOs are the best places to start with. Whether a local NGO, whether it's an orphanage center that you're just seeing there, they're looking for board members, just go volunteer because it gives you that first experience. And whenever you're called for any other interview, you're able to showcase that this is something that I'm currently doing, that I'm already doing. Even if you're not doing it to their perfection, they will know that you already have an idea of it. Uh, for a person to be a board member, a board secretary, is it a must to be a lawyer? Why are they preferred ones in this position? I'll tell you, um, without munching words, there are corporate secretaries who are lawyers, who are not lawyers, but they struggle a lot. This is because it has a lot to do with laws, regulations, procedures, do's and don'ts, which are very easy for a lawyer to navigate than any other person of any other profession. I know accountants who are corporate secretaries, but then it means you'll need to put a lot of work to understand that. Because by mere fact that you're an accountant, you will not make a good corporate secretary unless it's an organization that is not very strict on rules and regulations. So that's why a corporate secretary role has been probably, for lack of better words, uh, being an exclusive profession for lawyers because they fit more because of the nature of the things that they're supposed to be doing. However, Depending on the nature of the organization, you, someone could still be a corporate secretary if, uh, while they're not lawyers. And I've seen a lot. For example, where I worked um, before, it was an international NGO that is present in more than 100 countries. And there are countries that laws are not very strict. And there were corporate secretaries for the same entity who were engineers and Others were doctors, it was very funny. So when we, we had our corporate meetings, we used to laugh because then we, we kept asking everybody, what's your profession? And it was a mix of so many professions. So it just depends with the legal regulatory um, requirements in the country and in that field, uh, which will determine should they need a lawyer, will they need a lawyer or any other profession, uh, as long as they have relevant I mean, relative experience. Um, how do organizations obtain members? I think I've responded to this. The major big part of it is headhunting. And so headhunting includes who you know, who you talk to, who will make a reference of you, which will trickle back to the same thing that I was saying before. Um, you will never know who's recommending you where, which means that carry yourself diligently the same way that you're carrying yourself as if no one is watching. Because truly, 
you don't know who is watching and you don't know who is going to recommend you where. But also start forming um, relationships with the people that are already doing those things and express your intentions. So it becomes easier to be able to secure such positions because then when I think of when maybe for the likes of me who are recruiting board members for clients, when a client comes to me, then I, it's easier for me to say, ah, let, me, let me check Neema. Actually, she told me she's interested in doing this. So let us not shy away from sharing our aspirations to our colleagues because it is easier that way uh, for, them, for people to know what we want. And then uh, you might find someone who is not interested, but they heard someone who needs a board member and they'll just mention your name. I'll get back to the last question uh, uh, and that I, I, I got is on the board CV. Yes, board CVs are quite different from normal uh, work CVs. Um, because most of our normal employment work CVs are actually looking at our day-to-day -day activities that we do at the organization. While board CVs are actually more interested in looking at your achievement. Remember what I said at the beginning. It's not about how many years of experience you have. It's about exposure and achievements that you, you've already gotten throughout your career. So you might have five years of experience, but you have performed marvelous things more than someone who has a 20, 20 years of experience. So if you're not able to showcase those things in your CV, then someone will just look at the number of years of your experience and ignore your CV right there and then. And that is why if you are aspiring to become a board member, you need to ensure that you have a separate CV, which is a board CV, which is board ready, highlighting your achievements only. And maybe very small about the things that you're doing. It, it gets easier that way. And as achievements is, must be presented in numbers. This is just a recommendation. So for example, I am a lawyer. I have worked in an organization that has a lot of litigation. And I have, uh, in the course of my work, I've been able to ensure that the amount of litigations, the number of cases were reduced. Any other person will just say, a typical normal person will say, handled litigation very well or perfectly. The other person will say reduced, uh, maybe a number of cases or, or a number of litigations in organization X. But a board CV, if I'm expressing the same statement, I should be able to say, throughout uh, two years, I was able to reduce a number of uh, litigation cases from 30 to six, which significantly reduced the cost of the organization that was spent on paying lawyers. And, uh, and the cost reduction was up to 80% maybe from a hundred or something like that. So you need to put value. For those of you who are accountants will understand me more here. You need to put the actual numerical value that someone is able to conceptualize in their head and see, ah, this is impressive. So you see sentence one of saying you reduce the litigation and sentence two of saying you handle litigation. And this one that is saying, he was able to reduce cases from 30 to four, which significantly reduced the cost of running cases up to 
this one will look more serious and look like they know what they are doing. And it, obviously it's a catchy phrase that everybody will want to read. So that's how a board CV should be. Because ideally you're not looking to be employed. You're looking to become a boss. You're looking to become a person that is managing things from high level. So your CV should communicate your high level thinking and your high level achievements. Um, I think, Nema, I have covered all the questions that came uh, on board. I don't know if we have any other um, discussions or questions that I'm missing from the chat. Yes, I think you've covered them. There's just some that came in. There's a question from Helen. She's asking, can you expound a little, uh, a little bit about critical soft skills that will help you with board contribution? Okay, so the, the, I would say the key soft skill for, I, I, would, I would first talk about attributes. I don't know if it's a skill or an attribute, you will place it where it is placed best by listening to me, um, is your ability to conceptualize things. Because ideally, so an organization is run throughout a year. They have, um, they're presenting to you activities or achievements that they have done in, a, in quarterly, maybe in three months. The things that they took three months to do, for you, you're only given maybe three days to read and then the fourth day you're in a board meeting or maybe six days to read and then the seventh day you're in a board meeting. So your level of, your analytical skills need to be so high. Your level of conceptualizing things needs to be so high. So you need to be sharp and you need to be able to understand things. But the other very lame skill that anybody can get, I always say, just be a person that is able to ask the right questions. Because as a board member, like we said, you don't really do these day-to-day -day activities, but through asking questions, you're going to be able to find out more about your reports. But also if you are, appointed, like I said, you must pick an area of practice and be very good at it. So that you, there's a significant contribution that you're going to be bringing. Don't be a very monotonous person that you're only looking at the vocal board members and you're always saying you're, you're, you're a yes person or a no person. Because even when we're recruiting, for example, the, the likes of myself, I don't want someone who is too nosy but I also don't want someone who will just come there to receive the allowance and sit. I want someone that is going to bring significant contribution to the board. How are they asking questions? How are they moderating issues? How are they able to bring about options and not only pointing problems and things like that? Your presentation skills, how do you present your ideas? Because I will tell you, there are boards where conversations are heated and people fight. But how are you going to be present your ideas in a manner that it will not need physical confrontation, but you're still going to make your point uh, pass through the minds of others. So it's these very same leadership skills that are needed in every part of our leadership journey that are still very important and pertinent in your board uh, membership journey. 
Um, I don't know if I've responded to that. Um, yes, um, thank you. We have more questions. So <laughs> Nema Grace asks, have you had any mentors? Please share a case story of your networking skills and experience of acquiring a mentor in your board membership journey. And then she has a part two. How does one make themselves visible on LinkedIn? Does premium, uh, premium membership help? Um, have I had a mentor? Yes. I will say my only, um, my only good character or skill that I, I think is just given by God himself. For me, it's very easy for me to identify someone who can become uh, of a help to me. It's very easy. I don't know why. I, so even if you tell me, how do you do that? I will not really have any answer, honestly. But I have, through my career, I've been able to, to point out when I meet someone, whether it's at uh, work uh, anywhere, that I feel like they, they are going to have significant contribution to my life. It's very easy for me to identify. And when I, I actually identify, I communicate. So I'll tell you, I, I have a lot of friends that will, will tell me that they aspire to be board members, but their desires are never actually communicated. If they are communicated, maybe they can only be communicated to me. And yet they have maybe people of influence surrounding them. And these, these things are not actually spoken out. But also, it's, it, for me, it has been, when I see someone that is very good at a certain skill that I want to perfect, maybe I am not good at negotiating, and I know someone who is, oh my God, a goal getter, you give them any problem, they will negotiate. If it's monetary issue, they will negotiate. If it's just reaching into an agreement, they will do that. I. I, I, I get, I normally have an, a habit of inquiring, how are you able to do this? So I recognize good talents. I, I am very self-aware of my strengths and weaknesses. So I am able to work on my weaknesses and capitalize on my strengths. Where I see that I have a gap, I ensure that I get someone that is going to be helpful to me to build that gap. I am not saying that it is always easy. You will meet people that will never want to share with you um, their achievements. You will meet people who will never want to tell you the truth. You know, the, the, the kind of people that, ah, I was just born this way. Yes, you could be, but there are, the, most of these things are lear learned behaviors. So I have, I've fortunately also maybe uh, what has been very helpful to me is I've had good supervisors. I have a privilege of, uh, from a young age, being able to work with CEOs, and it has been like that throughout my life. And I will say, I think I'm just lucky to have found good ones. And in my earliest career, I used to find CEOs who were also very old. So, you know, an old man is not selfish. It's very rare you'll find an old man and, and, and a selfish one. It was very easy for them to teach me. And because I already I demonstrated the, the inquisitive uh, habit, it was easier for them to, to, to just take me through things. And I was very honest in terms of understanding, just saying, you know, I, I think I'm very weak in this area. I, I, would you please help me? Or if, for example, I am doing performance agreement or reviews with my boss, I will literally be able to say, okay, this is what you have, you have said to me on paper, but please tell me honestly, 
what are the areas that you think I should develop and things like that. So I became more self-aware. And I think the, the number one thing is know yourself first, holistically. Don't lie to yourself. What are your strengths? Build on them, capitalize on them. Your weaknesses, find a strategy to ensure that you're solving them. Because other than that, it's always going to be a problem. Um, LinkedIn, I would say as a start, um, the easiest to do in LinkedIn is ensure that if you like reading, this shouldn't be hard. Find your area of practice that you like the most. Start writing articles and posting oftenly. It will get you visible because when one, you know, LinkedIn is like Twitter. When one person likes, if, if Neema likes my article in LinkedIn, and Neema is related, is, is followed by Lucy. Lucy will be able to see my post because Neema liked. So it's like that. It, you get visible like that. Um, premium payment for LinkedIn doesn't necessarily work. Sometimes it doesn't. And you know, because of the, the nature of, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to call ourselves third world countries, but yeah, it could be something that works very well in other European countries or something, but not very good in here. And then at the same time, you don't want to add another monetary burden to yourself. So you can use the platform that you currently have and just post relevant content uh, in LinkedIn. LinkedIn is not a place where you post your face and saying you're looking good or you're feeling yourself. Post relevant things so that people can see because there are employers in LinkedIn there are people that are looking for uh, potential employees, potential board members, potential business partners. So post relevant things so that when I think of, um, even if it's low, when I think of commercial issues, I know exactly who to check. As in pick your, your area of practice and stick with it. It's easier that way. Okay, awesome. Uh, so Ramad asked, sorry, I missed this. Could you explain how you got your first uh, board role? How did you your network help in this? I think you've answered that when you're talking about uh, the mentors that you had working with uh, CEOs who are a bit of age and they shared all that knowledge mm -hmm. and also being vocal about that you want to sit on a board member and being self-aware. I think that would be around that or if you have anything to add on it because I am very sure time is running out on <laughs> us and there are so many questions uh so yeah I, th I think pretty much that, that that's just it uh, find someone sometimes it's just we are afraid of approaching people and rejection is not necessarily uh, the end of life so you might, one person will reject you, the second will reject, but you'll get a third who is willing to share their knowledge. So yeah, it's easier that way, other than uh, hiding your aspirations, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I see Nema Grace asked again, the branding bits, how do you really create your brand? Okay, that's interesting. And then how is time management like when you're on a, when you're, member of a board so you have your corporate job you have your uh, company on the side and you're still on uh, three boards so I think she's asking how do you handle that uh, in terms of time management the good thing uh, I think I shared about you yeah, really the time that the board is going to take from you it's not a lot 
because ideally meetings are running maybe two to three hours and you are having these sessions only once a quarter. So it's like once in three months. The only challenge is maybe when you're required to do field visit or stuff like that and while you have a full-time job, but also a board membership, if you are working in a good corporate sector, because I don't wanna make this as an assumption, it's always also good to just make it known. You know, being a board member is not a secret. So if you have a good boss, they should be able to understand that, can I take this time off? Uh, because I'll be doing one, two, three, four. Of course, we understand challenges of employment. You might get someone who will, who will be envious and probably think, oh, she thinks she's too important now. But you'll try to manage, but it doesn't really take much of your time. And with, you know, COVID taught us the new normal. There's a lot of boards that are now holding meetings online, just like the way we're doing it now. So I could be on leave or on vacation, but I'm still able to attend the board. Every, every, many companies are so flexible. And yeah. on the branding, just uh, quickly, just some pointers, because I know on, this is on, a whole topic. Yeah, <laughs> branding is a whole topic, but in a few lines, I would say, pick your area that you want to be good with. It's not necessary that you're already good at, because I believe we, we're humans, we evolve. Pick an area that you want to stick with and start learning more about it. Start doing more things about it. Even if it means following the people that are doing that, that's what you want. So instead of following manga, of course, it could be good for the fun moments we have when maybe you're tired, you don't want to go through any other tabloid uh, going on in, in the country. But also follow people that are actually, you're an economist. How many economists do you know? So my, my very old boss, who is a very mzee, used to challenge me. And she says, Janet, you are sitting on this role and you're so young. But how many company secretaries do you know who are in INGOs? Do you know what they're doing? So sometimes, because when you know them, then you'll be able to at least gauge where are you? Are you up above them or are you below? If you're below, what are you doing to at least take yourself there? If you think you're up, up, but still, what are the things that you can learn from these people so that you continue perfecting your skills? So follow like-minded people. They may not necessarily be your friends, but just following someone on LinkedIn, you'll be able to, or Twitter or Instagram, whatever it is, you'll be able to see what do they post, what, do they, what are they talking about? And then you, you'll be very surprised about the things that you're going to be learning and the things that are going to be new skills or new things that you're adding to, to yourself. And then you stick with it. So if it's LinkedIn, stick with the, the brand that you've decided to, to put on yourself. So make it known, make it visible. And someone, somewhere, someone is watching and they'll get to you. I always believe that. Awesome. Uh, there's a question from Rehema, but I feel like you've answered this when you're talking about the skills that you need and how you handle yourself in the boardroom, like how do you position yourself to make an impact as a board member, especially in boards where people have dominant personalities? I think again, it's your technical know-how, you where you communicate, what relationships have you also had with the other board members, I think, keeping that across. 
But if you have anything else to add on to that, but I feel like this was covered. Rema, unless you came in late, um, but you did cover part of this. Yeah, I think I covered part of that. It's so now that will, will typically depend on how are you able to, to communicate. That is typically communication skills. You will meet people because we're living, we're not living in, in um, we're not living in, in another planet, we're on earth and there are people with different personalities. You will get people who always want to speak, who always want their points to be heard, who always want to be right, but still speak with um, evidence. For example, I use, I normally use an example of one of my board members, I'll never mention his name, but this guy literally, so we talk about strategy, this guy, comes to the board meetings with a copy of strategy in every meeting. And before he comes to the board meeting, if you, so for example, this is quarter two board meeting. You had submitted quarter one papers. This guy reads to ensure that he sees the difference between Q1 papers and Q2 papers. And it happens one time, someone forgot to attach the right slide. So the slide that uh, was attached in Q1 is the same slide that was attached in Q2. And every other board member didn't pick except this one person. To an extent that whenever we are passing policies or changing bylaws, everybody is very comfortable if they are sure that this guy has already seen them. So you see, even the board members with all the skills they have, they also, it's like they, they test each other. They push each other to certain angles where they want to see who is good at what. And trust you me, they may not be able to tell you, but they know. So it is, if we were to talk about qualifications, maybe all of them have the same qualifications, but there's one particular one that is so attentive to minute details that is able to guide you. Even when you're digressing, maybe from the strategic issues that you're supposed to be doing, this is the same guy that will say, no, that is not in our mandate as a board. As a board. No, we shouldn't be discussing that. No, we're supposed to, our bylaws are saying this. So learn how to, to uh, put your point across the room, not in a violent manner, but in a manner that is understood. Just because maybe someone is disrespecting you or is talking to you rudely does not necessarily mean that you need to fire back. In fact, when you respond in a very calm manner, still maintaining your position, you become, uh, you know, you, you look like you're, you're the adult in the room than the other, regardless of the age. So I'm not saying that uh, the board part is all fun and games. No, there's still difficult moments where you would say, you know what, first of all, I'm just quitting. I was not meant for this. But it is how you are able to communicate that is going to put you there. Okay, thank you, uh, Janet. So there's a question here from Nema Grace. Can one be a board member within an organization that works in a sim similar area that she works in? Conflict of interest aspect and how does it work? It is very possible, depending on the policies that your organization have put. Um, and like I said, being a board member is not a secret. Always don't you ever make it a secret because then if there's anyone that wants to put you down, they will use it as a weapon. So just communicate it and it becomes as easy as that. Communicate what you're doing so that when you do it, it doesn't become a challenge. So I was giving an example of my situation where 
I felt a conflict of interest form um, indicating that I have opened a law firm that is doing one, two, three, four, which is typically, uh, well, the law firm is doing all other things, but me, typically, I'm still doing one, two, three, four. And for us, uh, the requirement was the form must be signed by your immediate supervisor and then you take it to HR. So I did that and I submitted. For other people, the assumption was, why are you doing that? This is your private thing, you shouldn't. But then I say, if someone finds out and then they'll try to maneuver somehow, somewhere that is not doing the right thing, then it means I'll be in trouble. But then it wouldn't really hurt for me to do this. And in the end, instead of it acting in a bad way, actually, on previous years, so my CEO, because he, he was meeting other CEO for other international organizations, whenever they had questions on corporate governance or what they should do, he would always just say, ah, Janet will help you. No, I have my, my staff, she'll help you. So I always did these things for free. But the moment I told him that I've opened a law firm, he was the first one that would say, ah, I have my employee that does this, but she does it at a cost. So it becomes one of my first clients in my the things that I do was a recommendation from my boss, from someone who wanted me to do something for free. So I know our areas of work are different, how transparent you will, you try to measure how transparent you can become. But if you are a working person, just declare it. Even if they say, ah, it's not a problem, just declare it, put it in your file so that whenever someone wants to use it against you, they can't because it's something that you voluntarily shared. And it does not really necessarily mean that you're doing this during work hours, because this is something that you can do when you take your time off, when you're on leave, and plus you have your other life that you run after work hours. So yeah, it is always workable depending on the people that you're working with. Okay, so I have two questions before you go. These are not related to board membership. It's mm -hmm. um, So the first question is, um, I believe you're a woman who has now matured, and maybe you're in your thirties or forties. I didn't ask that, uh, <laughs> but what would you tell your younger self about money if you could go back in time? Um, okay, so to answer your question, I am, I'm going to be 31 this year. I am a mother of one and I'm married. Um, so I'm carrying all those other hats. Um, what would I tell my younger self about money? I think I would have, told my younger self to start managing money well <laughs> um, from an early age, but also I would have told my younger self to start um, uh, identifying opportunities that would have, uh, could have um, easily brought money to me, as in there's no, um, you are not too young to start making money. It's just a mindset. Uh, of when you actually become serious and start doing what you're doing. Awesome. And the last question, and it's a good thing you said you're married. So we want to understand how do you and your partner handle money in the relationship? What works well is that there are things that we have identified as um, everybody's roles. For example, I was joking with a friend of mine today. <laughs> I, I was telling her I feel I, I filled my 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 um my car as in demand a petrol station and I, I filled two tanks and I was like oh my god I feel like I'm suffocating because this is something that I never really do I want to drive a car that already has fuel and I don't really care when you fuel it and my my practice is I always take 
the key and peep which car has fuel and I take it and I leave. If it doesn't, I leave it there. But what am I saying is there are certain things that have just uh, placed uh, in terms of these are things that you can do. I don't really need to ask my husband for money to buy gas, um, you know, when, when gas is finished or maybe water and things like that. But then there are other things that I don't completely do. If you ask me how they're done, I will tell you, I don't know. And it's not a joke, I don't know. So we have a common fund that we put our money together for the things that we are working for as a family. So he's working, he's doing his job, I'm doing my job, but we have, for example, a, a, an amount that we have agreed to save together for our investments as a family. But I also, everybody has their own personal savings that they're doing in other, so every investment that we do, we do it together. But for the savings uh, that we do, we have a group saving as in for two people. And then we have, everybody has their own personal saving that they have. And me being a woman, I still always have my emergency uh, thing because I don't know if there are men here. I know for us, it's very easy to, if I don't have money to just say, Nema, would you please loan me uh, 50K? But for our counterparts, it's not very easy. So for me, I always have an, also an emergency fund that is there just in case someone died and I need to travel to my village. I don't still start uh, hustling on where am I getting the money should my husband say I don't have money at this time. So it's more or less we've divided our roles on who covers what. It doesn't mean that when I don't have money to cover what I'm supposed to cover, I can't ask my partner, I do that. But then there are things that he does, there are things that I do. And there's still money that is there for the things that we're working together or investing as a family. And we still also maintain our personal um, investments and I mean, savings for any other things that we want to do privately. I, I like, I like, this is a very new perspective and it's really interesting. Uh, <laughs> so we're glad you shared and we are so glad that you gave us time know we are a bit over time but thank you for the time i know the rich aunties have learned a lot and yeah and i hope we'll have more board members among the rich aunties because that's the whole point of doing all these sessions so uh thank you very much janet if you have any parting shots i think for me is uh, first i would like to thank you guys all of you i know uh, never reached out to me but if you didn't join today then it would have been me and her talking um, so thank you all for joining and showing interest in learning these things. But also you're never too late or too early to learn. So continue learning. Um, you can always reach out to me if you wanna ask something, but also you can read the relevant books, um, go to relevant sites. There's, the very, there's a very good site called Women on Boards um, in Australia. So maybe write Women on Boards Australia you're going to get a lot of insights there. They post a lot about board membership. And the other last part is I'll tell you is for, it could be hard to get board memberships in Tanzania, but I'll tell you international memberships are available for everybody. Um, there are, for example, Australian boards are really looking for really any skill you have. If it fits in their board, they'll get you. So it could be hard where we are because we are so accustomed to high status and maybe uh, financial um, status for you to become someone, but there it's easier to penetrate. So don't be closed-minded on the opportunities that we have in the country. Try to also 
uh, look at the Bodrum Africa. Yeah, there's the Bodrum Africa. That's a very good site. They also have a LinkedIn page. Then there's Women on Board Australia and many other. If you just start searching, I'm sure you're going to get even others that I am not aware of. If you're a person that is interested to get more insight, our Institute of Directors is good, but not as active. You can check the Kenyan Corporate Governance Center, especially for those of you who are lawyers, just check their website. Or the most amazing one is the Advantage, um, it's called Advantage Training. It's a South African Institute. They hold a lot of training. Sometimes they even do online. It's very good. And the good thing is when you're on, your, on their portal, it's easier for them to refer you to other opportunities or the best Institute of Director in Africa that is doing so well is the Institute of Directors of South Africa. So you check their website also, there's so many materials and you're going to learn a lot. I think that's all from me. Thank you for joining and may you all have a wonderful night. Thank you. Thank you, Janice.